Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Bite Size Podcast. Um, we're here to look at the Arsenal Brentford and review another two points dropped in the league. I think we're both pretty frustrated by the game yesterday and by some of the kind of um, VAR and apologies that have come out from them since today, which, you know, I don't want to take away any kudos from uh, Thomas Frank and Brentford who, you know, had we won due to their goal being ruled out, I think that would have been considered a lucky win. But, you know, it's definitely still frustrating to be on the wrong side of these decisions. So, obviously, I'm with Pierre Nima. I'm joined by my co-host Clayton at Clayton's AFC on Twitter. And, yeah, we're just here to get the raw reactions out of the way and then hopefully on to big game on Wednesday. Yeah, I um, I feel very flat. <laughs> I can't lie. I, um, yesterday felt... I feel like the last week or so has been a bit of a reality check. <laughs> I think... Obviously, like we're still three points ahead of City, got a game in hand. We've had a phenomenal start to the season and we're over halfway, so it's important not to forget that. But like in the grand scheme of everything, it definitely felt yeah, it felt like a big reality check. And yesterday, just being in the stadium, it just the whole app like so the whole day, like so I was at the game again and um yeah, it was like did my standard things what I always do pre match. Met a mate for a few drinks, had a, had some food, <clears throat> went to a few of the pubs that I usually go to, uh, where you know the atmosphere is always good, and it just all felt a bit flat. And I was buzzing for this because it was like a Saturday three o'clock game, which we we don't have many of anymore, and I don't think we will have many of um, once the Europa starts. So I was buzzing like get a few drinks in, don't need to worry about work the next day but the whole mood around the ground just felt like around the surrounding area sorry just felt a little bit flat and I don't know if it was complacency people just like after Everton and City maybe um and then yeah so that kind of set the tone I think for then going into the stadium atmosphere was fucking pony it was probably the worst home atmosphere we've had this season and yeah just I couldn't get going like we only started like we did everything that I hate. Like I hate teams that only sell uh, sing like when they're winning. And that was when us yesterday. Winning, yeah. And yeah, just the whole day just felt really flat. Obviously ecstatic. Um, when we went one nil up thinking, yeah, this is it. We've done it. And then I'm sure we'll go on to the details. Obviously I ended in a draw and I, I just felt like a punch to my stomach yesterday. And like, I know it's not all doom and gloom, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't gutted, like really, really gutted. Yeah, no, I felt pretty um, sick, like physically sick, just seeing how that game ended. Um, and, uh, like, you know, I understand it was a frustrating game, but one of the things I saw online, maybe you can add some light to this because you were there at the stadium, is that it felt like there was more empty seats than usual. And I think maybe it's connected to the reseller problem we've been seeing where the resellers and the bots buy the tickets when they get released very quickly. They sell them at an extortionate price on, you know, ticket exchanges. And I'm assuming they make so much profit from the tickets they sell that they don't really care about the tickets they don't manage to sell. But there are quite bought. a lot of empties then. So I was That's in, what a few people have been Ashburn. saying, yeah. I was with the Ashburn lot yesterday. So obviously I was like right at the bottom. So I didn't really see. I guess it's hard to see the some of the gaps, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Maybe so that was one of the things I saw. Point. So I don't know if that's related to the atmosphere you saw as well, but maybe some of the nerves from the last few games. Um, I guess let's um, give a quick shout out just... to Terence as well. Sorry, just Wagwan to Terence yeah, here live. Hey, mate. Um, yeah, no, just on the atmosphere, I think it's just it's so important to re- like remember how good it's been this season. And it's like, this season has surpassed all of our expectations. Why is it that like when the team needs us the most, everyone just freezes? Like I get there's nerves, but I just think you're in there for 90 minutes. That's our chance to like make it a cauldron, have the 12th man and like all of those cliches that I genuinely so strongly believe in. And it was so disappointing yesterday. And I think it goes two ways, right? Like obviously the team needs to give the fans a reason to kind of really get behind the team. But I think when the team are struggling, the fans have to give them that extra 10% to like, come on, we're here for you. Like get that extra push. And yeah, that I was really disappointed from that perspective yesterday. Um, but mm. it wasn't just the fans, right? The football team didn't play well at all. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess from a football team perspective, um, I think it's a good time to pull this up, the lineup, because... (laughs) We sound so depressed. (laughs) I know, I'm so depressed. Um, I guess the reason I say this is you had obviously your scenario scenario A and scenario B for the lineup when we spoke in the preview, and it seemed you were right about going with the kind of the same tried and tested 11 from the last six Premier League games and trying to get them to bounce back ahead of the City game. Um, There there was a few tactical changes. We did notice Martinelli was far more central than we've seen of late. So that was interesting to see, but it didn't quite like it didn't quite come off or anything. Um, but he did seem quite shot happy. Um, it's like he was desperate to protect his minutes going forwards. Um, but just generally, it did feel flat. I know what you mean. Like, like you know, we were at the point where I know we're not going to always face these deep block teams, and we've said not every team can do it as well as like say Newcastle did, and away ground at ours. We know that you know Everton and Dyche, like we said, not many teams can do it, but it felt like Brentford under Thomas Frank were perfectly capable of executing that deep block as well. Yeah. And we were like reduced to Zinchenko taking pot shots from outside the box. And like, we just couldn't get in. And yeah. the goal we did create, like that was an incredible pass from Saka. Like he basically took out the entire back line with that whipping cross. And so, even the like, pass from yes. Odegaard to play him mm-hmm. in, in the first, like that, that level of precision that was required to unlock them. Like, is that all that hard work? And then we got undone, and it looked like we just couldn't, we we didn't have enough to go and get another one. It felt like, and it was just super frustrating. Um, it was games like this where we've now faced a few kind of deep blocks in a row. And I think this is what I was saying to you about is reminding me just how good Jesus is against these strong kind of center backs who are quite physically dominant, yeah, and how he can always create that chaos and make something happen. And I know Eddie's been getting much better at you know, the other sides of his game beyond just goal scoring, but not having another striker option, like just not having two strikers in the team is oh, really starting so to show, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really starting to show. So that was a bit frustrating. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty disappointed by that. I also thought that, generally speaking, it was maybe one of Saliba's worst games for us so far. I know he's very young. I don't want to pile yeah. in on him, obviously. So it's just like more of just what I saw, how I felt. I don't, but um, to be honest, I've never seen think, him perform like that. <laughs> I don't even think it was a case of it being his worst game. I think it was like Tony was just on a different level. Like you couldn't get the ball com- off him. He's so no, good. Like I don't think there's many centre backs that could have dealt with Tony how he played yesterday. Like I think I saw a stat. So there were ten aerial du- duels, and Tony won all of them. Like, and even not just yeah. the actual duels, his link-up play, his movement. Obviously, he hit the post. He could have was it the post or the bar? Could have should have scored. Um, he got his goal, yeah, which we'll, I'm sure we'll touch well. on. But like his all-round centre-forward play was brilliant. But just one thing, like you touched on there, obviously the tactical tweak with Martinelli closer to goal and on the inside. I liked that. I really liked that. Mm. But. If we're talking about pairings, it feels so counterintuitive that he makes that change. And then it, remember what I said last week about the positional play and like the different lanes. Mm. It felt like Zinchenko, Xhaka and Martinelli were all just operating like within the same lane then. Like, I think that is when if you've got a Martinelli close to goal, like I know Xhaka was playing slightly wider, but he's not really going to distract like the, the reason you have someone on that outside lane is to create a distraction right you kind of move someone out towards them so you vacate that space in the middle Xhaka isn't going to do that so I think if he was going to go with that tweak of getting Martinelli inside closer to goal that's where in my opinion you have Tierney playing at left back and I'm not going to lie that width, yeah. I'd love to get your opinion on this I didn't think Zinchenko played well I was really disappointed in him I thought a lot of his decision making was poor I thought he was forcing himself onto the ball in areas that he didn't need to be too much. I thought, yeah, decision-making was poor, like I said. I thought his pass selection was off. I thought he was trying to force it too much when it was on. And, yeah, I I didn't think he was good yesterday, personally. And I get the kind of taking shots from outside the box when you're chasing a goal. I don't really mind that. And he was fairly close to one. But I I was quite disappointed with him. And I think the thing I said against Everton was... Oh, it's my Siri trying it this time. <laughs> um, the thing I said against Everton was I felt like we had a false sense of control in that game. Mm. And Zinchenko was very good in that game at where he was picking up the ball and stuff. But I think that element of false control came into this game where Zinchenko was kind of picking up the ball in areas. And it felt like just for the sake of it, it felt like there was no purpose to what 
I'm not just isolating him. It's just something that really stood out to me. And I, I think it's I... partly to do with them as well. So like as much as it is about him maybe forcing it, I do feel that it's credit to the opposition for making us look so lost. I, I, I guess what it is, is that with the way we're playing with only one striker as well, with the same players starting every week at the moment, I guess opponents are looking at the matches where we have struggled to create with the likes of Newcastle and Everton and Leeds earlier in the season where we were dominated quite a bit. And I suppose the teams that feel they can play that way to disrupt us, they are. And, you know, yeah. every team has weaknesses, right? Like, depending on the kind of tactics you choose to employ, there's always going to be a part where you're exposed or undercommitted. We know we're generally exposed in the back left where, you know, we don't really play with a defender there. But I guess when we spoke last time about is there a blueprint forming, my thinking was that not many teams can actually go and execute this game plan to nullify us. For what it's worth, I still believe that. I, mm. I don't think every team can go and execute that. I think Brentford, we, we said this, Brentford were ones that we knew were capable of it. I don't think every like lower half team is capable of doing it personally. And I think against a team like City, when we do the preview, I guess we'll look at it. It should be on paper a completely different game because yeah. someone like, say, a Martinelli who plays best, like getting behind his defenders and breaking through their lines, he should have more opportunities on the transition to do what he does best. Yeah. And I think in a game like this, like there was some really fancy footwork I saw a few times, like with Odegaard and Zinchenko and others, Saka like on the edge of the box in the D. But it just like it kind of didn't really create anything real. It was yeah, just fancy exactly. footwork, but we couldn't get through. And I think the That's... thing these guys did, and I didn't know if they could do it, but it sounds like you were potentially pessimistic they might, and they did, is they were constantly doubling out wide on both wings. As soon as yeah. I saw Martinelli or Trossard, whoever had the ball or Saka, there was always two people blocking the passes into the the passing lanes from the wings. Like There was just no way we could get through. Um, and then also they obviously blocked out the middle. And yeah. it just felt like everything was forced. We didn't have it, much time on the it ball. It felt like there were no corridors anywhere, right? And this anywhere, is where, yeah. I'm, unfortunately, I do think Arteta really needs to be proactive in thinking of a plan B. Like, I think previously we had the three-five-two, right? We had Jesus and then Ketia up our sleeve. But unfortunately, Jesus is injured. And, like, he needs to be thinking of something else. Like, Trossard was a very good sub. I think, yeah, it was very early and he... He did very well, like took his goal really well. But I, this is what I said previously. I don't think you just go and control C, control V, the system, and just make a like for like start. But I think, mm. I think it's the system. I think the system needs to be tweaked when you're struggling against teams like this. And yeah, I, I was I was really disappointed. And do you know what? There's been many moments this season where we've been chasing a goal. Right? I can off the top of my head, Fulham, Leicester, Villa, like Man United. I, a lot of the home games, yeah. Yeah, but I felt like we were going to score. I didn't have that feeling at all yesterday once they equalised. I didn't have that at all. And yeah, I, I really think until Jesus is out, and like you say, there there is a bit of a blueprint forming on how to stop us. Like, I don't think every team that goes and plays that way is going to nullify us, but I think that's definitely the kind of step one of the pyramid of how you try and stop us now, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think this is where... They, try, they can't necessarily do it because they either don't have the personnel. Like, not every striker is a Calvert-Lewin or an Ivan Tony. Their level yeah. of hold-up and strength, they are. Exactly. there are not many strikers that are as good in the air as they are and at holding off the opposition in aerial duels. So I think they can try and execute it. But say where you've got like... Um, I'm just trying to think of an example like let's say for Southampton, like if you've got like a Shea Adams up top, I don't see them being able yeah. to execute that game plan in the same way. But what really got me was they were really able to maintain that intensity, even centrally. Like normally you would think they start to look tired. You know, we brought on Trossard. I even heard the commentator saying, oh, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised to see some Brentford sub soon. Like they're starting to look a bit tired and they just timed everything. And right they kept going, yeah. Intensity, yeah. And then even the timing of like their time wasting and stuff, you know me, I will never complain about that because I think at a certain level of a football team, you need to, it's part of the game, unfortunately, but they time that to perfection as well. Like mm. every time, yeah, they just, they time that to perfection as well, to be honest. But yeah, I, I, I really think Arteta really needs to be thinking of like, a, I feel like we've got plan A, we've got a plan B, which we can't use at the minute because Jesus is out. I, I really think he has to be thinking of a plan C. And like, for me, this is why I was so fucked off 
that we didn't go and get a first team level midfielder. Like, I'm sorry, I know everyone was justifying Jorginho and I've made peace with that transfer. But do you remember what I said? The reason I was fucked off, it was it was nothing against Xhaka. It was nothing against anyone else. It was in the summer, we all believed we needed a first team level raising number eight, right? We didn't get it then. Gets to January, we still needed that. And if anything, there were any um, injury kind of fast forwarded the plan in terms of like, okay, we need to accelerate something and bring someone in now. And again, it's not displacing Xhaka. It's games like this where you see we need an alternative to him. He he's he doesn't offer anything against these deep blocks. And it's nothing against him. Like, I don't know why Arsenal fans I think, are I so... think teams are... I think we've become a bit predictable. So like teams know what White Odegaard and Saka will do on the right. And they know what to expect of Zinchenko in the middle and Xhaka's with his late runs. So like they just basically put players in the positions exactly, that we would normally what... dominate our positional play. And I think the one problem is like where we've looked at Jorginho as an option, I don't think he's ever going to play as an eight for us, it looks like. I think he is literally oh, no. he was never as a bought... six, yeah, he was never which means that actually eight, no. with Lukonga gone, we have less eights now. So we yeah, actually you have can less. Tell it's just Vieira, isn't it? Like, and I think Smith Rowe when it. he comes back. But like to my original. So point, that's where that's we're what... missing, though, right? Like, it, like again, we're missing a Smith Rowe. We're missing a Jesus. Like, yeah, but like this is my point. Though. Like, my point is, we needed that in the summer. I don't know why hmm. everyone's just made peace with like, oh yeah, we, we didn't get an eight. Like, in the summer, we all had our shopping list. It was a centre forward. It was a number eight, and like hmm. a wide forward. We didn't get the wide forward. We didn't get the um, the number eight. And I don't know why everyone's just made peace with it because it's games like this where it shows you're right. Like teams are catching on to what we're doing. Xhaka is a bit of a one-trick pony in that number eight role. His one trick is very bloody good when it's against the opposition that allows it. But if he's not got space to run in behind, he, he's not someone that's going to like unlock a defense, is he? And I think that's why Vieira came on. Like I'm really, really disappointed with the lack of recruitment of a level raising midfielder because I feel like the opportunity was there and I feel like the need was there as well so I guess the thing on Vieira I just want to comment on him Um, so again I think just like maybe it was just frustration speaking on my side but like that fucking set piece free kick he took the final free kick oh I went mad I was just like like, how are you wasting like our only opportunity to maybe salvage this Um, so I think maybe that shows me why maybe we're not seeing him take Xhaka's role and start necessarily in games. Uh, maybe he's going to be starting in the Europa and he needs a bit of time. One thing that Terence says in the chat, and it's something I've been thinking about as well, is, you know, we all say that at the moment, like there's the problems we have in the back left and the left-hand side of Martinelli as well, also struggling a bit. And with Xhaka in the midfield, is there any love for what he's put here, which I, I also kind of agree with? I would love to personally see a game where Zinchenko plays where Xhaka does and Tierney comes in that, and holds the width. What the, that's that what I said after Everton, wasn't yeah. it? That's exactly what I said. I said I wanted to take Xhaka off, put Zinchenko in the middle, mm. Tierney out wide as the outlet, and put Martinelli closer to goal. Absolutely. That, I and then let's say the Martinelli's block, not playing. That works. Let's say Martinelli's not playing. Trossard would also do great with Tierney behind him, I yeah. think. Like, either way, remember? like... Do you remember Smith Rowe's goal against Brentford last year? Do you remember how that came about? He picked up the ball in like the left half space. Tierney made an overlapping run that kind of distracted someone, took someone away and created the space for Smith Rowe to just dribble in and then he slotted in. That's hmm. like have, took I feel one like of the every... men with him, yeah. Exactly. And yeah, so what Terence said and what you've said, that's it. I suggested that as the sub for Everton. And I think in a game like this, where in my opinion, Jack is not offering anything against a deep block, I would 100% love to see that. And I think people will counter that point, right? They'll be like, oh, what about the defensive duels and stuff? I think people overstate that in game states like this. If you look at the stats, I don't believe Jacques well, is that to busy stats, defensively. Guess, yeah. But can we just do a couple more like yeah. individual performances? All right, if fine. You don't a few mind. more like, plays, just, yeah, okay. Like, I felt like, again, it was a game where the opposition nullified a few, but... I felt like if anything was going to come from somewhere, it was only Odegaard that looked like he was carrying the team on his back. He was the only one pressing. He was the only like trying to get the crowd going. He was trying his hardest, and you kind of acknowledged the fancy footwork and stuff. We'll get onto it. There's another slide later on I've included where it's just like a horseshoe. Like there was no precision or uh, not precision. Sorry, like incisive passing. And but he's the only one that was bloody trying, and it, it felt so disappointing again this weekend um ben white i actually thought he played better 
but I was really disappointed with his final delivery and his crossing. I thought he was getting into very good areas. And I think the thing that annoys me a lot, and that annoyed me a lot yesterday, they had, is it Aja, Aja however you say his name, yeah. Pinnock and Ben Mee. And we were just lofting balls into Like, what were we expecting? Yeah, I was going to say, these like were like lofted front, crosses, yeah. When you get to that area, drill them in, because then it creates chaos. Like, you never know. You can create a mistake, like a ricochet, like... I, I, uh, that that was something that disappointed me as well. They they were just the two I wanted. To what call about out. just in terms of? I guess one thing I want to add to this, and it probably brings Ramsdale into the conversation too, is what are your thoughts on like the kind of the number of calls we've been conceding from set pieces lately? Um, yeah. That's starting to worry me a little bit. It's like something we need to maybe try and get figured out or get out our system. I'm not really sure kind of what it is. Is it people like losing their focus or like? Like what what's happening at these in these corner situations, for example, or freak situations so, where we just kind of because like, you know I I we'll talk about the VAR and stuff in a moment, but like three four players lost their individual aerial jaws by the time that ball went I, into the net. That, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was my obviously when I was in the ground right, so I had no idea about the VAR thing going on. Like I saw it was on the uh, screen, but I didn't know what the context of what was going on is uh, was. Mm. I know it's the same thing. I was like, how have we lost? Like, it was three or four times, wasn't it? Where I feel like one of them was a freely contested header. No one went for him. Uh, Tony, obviously, I can understand that. Gabriel got blocked off. But I was, like, how the hell Tony was allowed to be on his own there, uh, like to uh, cut it back in? Then there was another header that was uncontested. And then they won another header. I was like, like you said, three, four times in the box. Like, that's pathetic. Um yeah, because you know, I'm like when you got to win your individual jewels, like, and then we're talking about like Saliba's ten jewels he lost. Like, it's just like the jewels we just were not on top of it. Like, we just yeah. were not on top of it. And like, I do but, get but it. Set pieces, physical... it worries me a bit. That's me the thing too. with set and, pieces. And I do get it. They are a physical team, and they're a very well coached team, right? But so are we. <laughs> like, so yeah. I think Arteta kind of alluded to that in his presser saying, yeah, it's something that they need to work on. Um, but yeah, that, that was very disappointing. Obviously the VA, do you want to do the VAR stuff now? Cause yeah, I think we get that got... out of the way. Look at the data yeah. after. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So I guess from my first four, like, <laughs> like they put the VAR on and I remember on TV, I'll tell you what they showed us. So they showed like a segment of play. They were on it for ages and that segment maybe wasn't looking offside. Then they were like, oh, but hold up a second. Because then they fast forwarded to the next segment they were showing. And they were like, this looks offside. And they were like, oh, we don't know if the ref looked at that one. And I was like, what? And then like... This was no on line... the live broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no line was ever shown on the TV for any of the moments, like any of the frames. And now they've come out and basically said that apparently there's a time limit for the VAR. And right. Lee Mason spent so long on the first one that he totally just missed the second one and just forgot to draw lines and I just like that. panicked and rushed to make the decision before the timeline disappeared. And I, I was saw like, that came out last night and I was like, that, that is the, the level of incompetence for that to happen. I can't wrap my head around it. Like how? Yeah. They said human error was cited as um, what happened. They say Lee Mason will learn his fate on Tuesday as he faces being stood down for a second time this season. Do you know, like, the first time he got stood down this season was that was after just after our game. Yeah. Like yeah, they, yeah. So like, yeah, like it was, so there was another, I think it was, he basically like ruled out a Newcastle winner, which cost them three points. And he also told the ref to go look at the monitor for the uh, Martinelli goal at Old Trafford that went one nil ahead. And they basically have come out since, right? And PGMOL have yeah. said like, that should not have happened. And it was a ref mistake. So, Twice this season in two huge games for us. That's five points dropped. Person. Like, yeah. Uh, the, the Martinelli goal at Old Trap, like, of course, this is subjective, but I don't think we go on to lose that game if that goal counts. Because yeah, the so when you look of... at ESPN's um, like updated table with VAR decisions um, being taken into account, they count that as a win to us. They They conclude we would go on to win. So they yeah. actually give and us three points in that so match in their updated table. And two points dropped yesterday. Like we'll, we'll get onto it in a bit whether we deserved anything. But yeah, it I doesn't matter whether you deserve it. No, but it doesn't fucking matter, does it? You just need... No, but you win a game like that, goal. yeah. Exactly, and you don't deserve yeah. it. And then they say so this that's is what five... champions do. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That bullshit narrative as well. But look, that's five points dropped. 
because of incompetence. Like that's not. But he's the same like, bloody individual. I and know, what's going to happen, right? He's going to get suspended for a week, and then he'll come. Which, back which, again. but what does the suspension really mean? Let's deep it for a second. If it was any of us, nothing, man. It's just one weekend of annual leave and holiday with pay to then come back and continue making the same level of mistakes. And th- and the thing is, this wasn't even the worst decision of the weekend, probably. The fact that it's so bad across our league, you know, Brighton's know. goal got ruled out. I've not actually winner. seen that, but I've heard yeah. it's shocking, yeah. Well, they drew the VAR line from the wrong player. So, if, like, <laughs> our, our one, they didn't draw the line. In that one, they drew the line from the wrong player and didn't draw the line from the player that kept him on. And yeah, like, imagine you... Brighton miss out top four by two points. How are they going to fucking feel? You know me, right? Like, I always try to have refereeing, like, last on my list of, Mm. not excuses, but I always try to look inwardly and, like, what could we have done to win the game? But when you're in a title race, like, there's no margin for error. You can't, like, five points we've been fucked over because of incompetent, like... No, no, but that's just Lee Mason. You're not including the penalty shout we discussed at Everton, whether we think it's a penalty or not. But since then, I still think it is. And then we're also not including um, the one at Southampton where they dragged Jesus to the floor. We're not including the handball by Newcastle in that game. We're not including the foul by Dan Burn on Gabriel in the box. Two penalty incidents in the Newcastle game. One in the Southampton game. A fucking offside goal potentially in the, you know, this game against Brentford. The disallowed goal against United. It's like every game we've dropped points. Like I'm not trying to say like, oh, we didn't deserve to drop points. Like, it is but pretty frustrating when in every on. single yeah. match something happened where the officials either didn't look or didn't look properly. And we will never know what the right outcome should have been or how. It and it just drives me fucking insane because I don't like this happens to other clubs, too. I said this to you last oh, time, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like I've seen it happen to every other team. It happened to three of them. Like Chelsea should have had a penalty yesterday. They interviewed the fucking player who saved the goal. And he's like, yeah, my, my, my dad used to be a goalkeeper. So that's where I learned to save it. Like, how can yeah, a fucking outfield player save a goal with his hand? Like, he's the goalkeeper. I don't, and he's even joking about it in interviews and laughing because he fucking knows. Like, That's, he's wild. It's, the le- he's the level wild. of refereeing in this country. Like, we, as a country, we've got the worst refs in the world. Like, you see it at major tournaments as well. Like, you never really get that many English refs that get called up to go to the World Cup and the Euros and stuff. And when they do, they're fucking tragic. Like, it's so bad, man. But... It's yeah, honestly I... depressing. And the championship refs are no better, so they're not going to get promoted up. And we spoke about this months ago about just the level, lack of protection for the refs at grassroots, meaning that most people who could go on to become good referees, they just fall out. Now, I don't want to get into conspiracies, but have you ever seen the map <laughs> or the God. map of where the referees of the Premier League are yeah, from? Yeah, they're all like northeast. It's right? like 95% Manchester and Liverpool. They yeah, all come, like, fucking Lee Mason comes from fucking Manchester too. Now I'm was... not saying that they're biased, but guess what? You grow up in Manchester during the you know best ever era in United's history of 20 years of dominating the Prem. I wonder who these people supported growing up. I there wonder. was a um, funny. I forgot who the ref was, but it was one of like the big time. Uh, yeah, one of the big names in the Premier League of the last two three years. Before, completely escaped me who it was. Um, and he was at the center of like a controversial decision, shock. And then someone found his Facebook profile, and his header was like back in the day, him at Old Trafford. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's so bad, man. But yeah, I do. Do you know what? It, I, as a per, I try not to get so wound up about things I can't control or have any influence over. But like, this is, I can't get my head around this. I really like. It just yeah. blows my mind. It's been happening for years. Like Wenger got fined for saying that the refs were a disgrace he called out to Lee their Mason association. Specifically, didn't he? In twenty sixteen, yeah. do you remember that? Fucking Lee Mason, and he's this still knocking around, destroying us all this time. What a prick, man! Um, I think, th- to be fair as well, like we have the most expensive league in world football, and yet all our referees are English. So we import in, you know, That's foreign so talents. How come we don't use any referees? I never and it's thought like, of that. Yeah. And it's like, I, I've said really it before, I consider them a mafia. The PGMOL <laughs> is a group of friends who, as Terence says, English referees, white middle-aged northerners who love a drink. Um, and they just back each other up. Like when one makes a mistake, they come out and apologize. Like the reason they don't want to, you know, make the VAR decision be broadcast in the stadium so you can hear the conversation is because they don't want accountability. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, like no exactly one, like how they're sending an apology to Arsenal and Brighton, and you know, I've already read that Arsenal don't intend on filing a complaint because they don't want to waste their time and they want to just focus on the game against City on Wednesday. So Arsenal, like, they know that, like, what's the point of even putting a complaint? Because this Matthews on DGML will yeah. connect. They're just there to protect each other. So honestly, it's just driven me insane. This whole you say, thing. I think um, the telling thing for me was Arteta just outright in his interviews when we've all been briefed. We all get told at the meetings that for me is offside. For him to say deadpan, like that was wrong. Like they that, asked him what they're like, like. What did they say to you in the meetings? He goes, no, they didn't say anything to me. He goes, they've told us from the start of the season and to everyone in the league that that is an offside. Yeah. He's like, that's what they've told us. He's like, you know, one of them's blocking Gabriel. One of them is offside, making my defenders run towards him to think about what he's doing. He's like, there's multiple things. You know, even the fucking set piece they got was a soft foul. So yeah. the set piece that led to this incident was arguably not even a free kick for them. That's a good point. I actually forgot about that. Yeah, it was yeah, very and have soft. You, and, have you, and have you seen that on the free Tony frame was of the like offside holding... incident, there's Zinchenko being held by two people in between them, like sandwich, and they're both gripping onto him as the ball comes in. The... There's like three, yeah. four phases of that play that are fucked. How that I happened, I don't know, honestly. I'm, but let's go to... I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to a few others tuned in live. Christopher yeah, Teller, nice good one. to see you, mate. I've starred your questions, guys, that we'll come to at the end. William, nice good one. to see you, mate. And we have Bobby here live. Lovely to see you, mate. Nice one. But yeah, so... Um, oh, yeah. So just to comment on this, Christopher, as well. So they interviewed Ruben Neves after the game about... Like, Do you want to just read out happened. what the comment is? Yeah, so for the podcast listeners, they're saying that um, you know, Jared Gillett, who's the Australian, the only Australian in the PGMOL, he was the referee who sent Lamina off yesterday. And they asked Neves, and they basically said, like, what happened was Neves and another player were running towards the ref to complain about something. And in the background, Lamina was the third player, and he, like, just was jogging towards them. So the ref just turned around and gave Lamina the yellow. And he goes, I don't understand. Like, do you not use logic? Like, why wouldn't he give it to me or the guy who ran towards yeah. him? And they're saying because free is a crowd. So two is fine, but because a third guy ran towards him, that's illegal. And it's like mental, I get, like I get, like I get that they're applying the laws by the letter of the law. Yeah, you've got to look at logic sense, right? and common yeah. sense. Like this guy, like, they, and then they said to him, they asked Nevers, like, did Lamina say anything to him? Like, was he being mouthy? Did he like dissent? He goes, no, he didn't do anything because he didn't say anything. He goes, he was just walking towards us. He goes, why didn't the ref give me the card? Why is he giving it to the guy already on the yellow who had nothing to do with the run up? Like. it blows my mind but it's just it's selfishly just like obviously we talked about the other what if incidents but that's a guaranteed five points that we've been fucked over by and that and that's not even the other games yeah exactly just united and and um, i can't get my head i cannot make peace with that i just can't like obviously we have to and like we're three points ahead got a game in hand it's all within our control but imagine the difference of the buffer room if we had those extra five points that we were robbed of, like it's, yeah, I don't know. I think it's important, like not to just get swayed on this point as shit as it is, because we weren't good enough. There's but so much you, more you we need, would have to do. Yeah. But you need these things going your way when you're having those shit moments. Like just because we're not playing well, doesn't mean that we're allowed to be refed poorly. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Not acceptable. Like yeah. for a league like this, um, it sounds like this whole idea of, crowding refs giving bookings out is coming becoming more common now going forward so diaz oh, got booked today by the refs for being the third player to run to a ref so well, it is starting the, the to happen get more fined often. as well now yeah no only arsenal get fined when five players surround the ref two weeks yeah, in a row but trust. i've seen every other club do it every week and not a single club's been punished this season apart from us. So let's yeah. go back to um, just here to the slides. I'm going to pull up the numbers for a bit because oh, this, this comes, <laughs> but as in this comes back hand in hand, right? Because you're yeah. right. Like, yes, we may feel aggrieved about that penalty. Sorry, about the offside. But the bottom line is this was the only the second or third game this season that we lost on XG. So, you know, for the podcast listeners, I think Brentford's the worrying thing though XG was is- high. It's two in a row now, though, isn't it? So it was Everton yeah. and Brentford, and then I think the previous one was Leeds, right? But and that was a long a th- time ago, yeah. It was a long time ago, but like we said last week, there's a theme in terms of the opposition, the style of play. 
but it's a bit concerning now that it's so what how many after United, we've been struggling for goals, right? And so we've so we, yeah, so this was I'm glad the one thing I'll say is like I'm thank god we fucking scored because we'd not scored in like three games before this. So one goal in like three games. Um and then also we have like two wins in the last five, so we really need to shake this off now. Like put it this way, everyone will forget what's happened in the last few weeks if we can beat City on Monday. Oh, like, that will course, suddenly yeah. bring back all the energy. So I do feel that after what happened, even if the referee fucked us over a bit. We didn't quite deserve to win this game, regardless. Like Brentford had so many chances; they could have been two, three goals up at half time. Like oh, mate, these guys were flying. Hell, yeah, they they were fantastic. Like, <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I did. I actually thought there were periods where we were very good. I thought we were moving it quite yeah. nicely and getting into the right areas. I just thought it was the final pass. And like that, like I said earlier, there's another slide coming up later that. I think really nicely illustrates why we were struggling. But yeah, like I thought we had periods where we were doing well. It just feels like the chances right now are just not coming. And I, I, in my simple head, I think the way we play and create overloads and try to force things centrally, it just doesn't cut it against the deep block. And I think like I can't get that goal that Smith Rowe scored against Brentford last season out of my head and just can't help but think what an overlapping fullback in Kieran Tierney can do against these sort of oppositions because I think it gives you a whole different dynamic it opens up completely different lanes for people to operate it stretches the pitch and then you've got the people centrally that actually make the difference like like let's say Zinchenko yeah. playing there or Vieira or even Smith Rowe if he's fit there, there there should be game states or certain opponents that we should be more willing, I think, to not just go with the same eleven because yeah, that's like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think I'll get shot down for this. I, I thought the inverted left back was fucking pointless yesterday. I didn't see any benefit to it in that actual game. Personally, it's been one of the best things I've seen for Arsenal as a tactical evolution. But it doesn't mean you have to like die on the hill of doing it all the time. I, I just yeah, I don't know. I was quite frustrated that we seem quite wedded to that. And it's not saying get rid of Zinchenko. I think, like we've said, just, what just 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 have options. What, like when you yeah. look at like look at today, yeah. right? City dropped Rico Lewis, Akanji, and Aki. Three of the back four they have played every week so far. They just brought in yeah. a bunch of different players into a new system. Went super aggressive, and they just went for the kill. Right. So we've always said we didn't have the depth. I think you said like Arteta maybe had 13, 14 players he truly trusted. So maybe that opportunity wasn't there for us to change the system. But he has been pragmatic in the past before. He was pragmatic yeah. in his first six months to get through the cup. We played with a back five. We did what we could to beat a City and Chelsea who were great at the time. And we had to just like get our chance and win in those games. Now, I'm not saying I want to play like that again. But in a scenario like this, I think we just need to be willing to change There something. needs to be something different. And nothing right? yeah. changed. Now, when it was nil-nil at 60 minutes, nothing changed. Like yeah. we just we made a few like for like swaps again, right? That that was about it. Vieira coming off of Jacka was maybe the a little bit not like for like in the sense that we were really trying to put. Play. There was parts towards the end of the game where I could see Gabriel and open play our centre back. He took a like on the shot, wing, he? but he was they like running it. on the wing. He then passed it to someone, <laughs> and I thought, okay, he's now going to run back to defence to get to his position. And after he passed it back, he ran back into the box. He's like, pass back to me. Like, we yeah. were so desperate for a goal that we had everyone piling in and we you still know, couldn't create. What it is as well, like, so if you just look at the graphic, right, obviously the XG kind of speaks for itself. And yeah, Brentford could have, should have been one or two up at halftime. Like, that, yeah, they, they created high quality chances. I always like looking at the threat because I feel like that is quite indicative, indicative of where... You're arriving as a unit, the areas you're getting in, are you looking, yeah, what it says on the tin, are you looking like a threat? And look at it, it was just even throughout the whole game. And like that's something that you don't see us being matched in that kind of metric at all. And I think this is where, you take our goal, for example. That, for me, was, do you remember last year with Lacazette, it felt like every goal have to be had to be perfectly curated that's how it feels like we're going to score at the moment, like a perfectly curated goal. And mm. I feel like without Jesus, that's what you you miss, that unpredictability, the chaos factor, right? 
that goal for me yesterday is exactly why we need to change something against these sort of opposition because that ball from Odegaard, the weight of the pass on that to feed in Saka in that fine, narrow margin and then Saka had to put in an inch-perfect cross, like, that's a one in a 50, one in a 100 move that comes off because of, like, the precision of that. You can't be relying on one clear opening like that against these sort of teams and I think that mm. for me just kind of illustrates what we're up against and why we need to be looking at something different I think our patterns of play and our tactics have been absolutely phenomenal this season and I'm not saying like we've become predictable to play against but against certain opposition those patterns aren't cu- aren't cutting it um, and I do think we need to start evolving and adapting for different game states personally Ironically, I actually think the City game will suit us a lot more. <laughs> I, I honestly do think it will suit us much more. Um, I just hope that we have the mentality to come. Now, I saw Xhaka put out a social media post um, after the match, and I do agree with what he said. He essentially kind of said, like, look, like, this has happened. Let's put it, be, uh, I'm paraphrasing, we'll by the way. Yeah. He was like, this has happened. We're going to analyse it, say, we're going to like figure out what we need to improve, as you said they're not even appealing the ref decision because they don't want to waste time. They just want to focus on the city game. And he said, and we really need you to support us. You're our 12th man, basically. He's, yeah. he's basically saying like, he was like, please stick with us. That's what he was asking. And I think that's something that's really important to note because I'm seeing like, we're here trying to talk about things that we were like disappointed in or things that we thought didn't quite go right. And we have frustrations and thoughts about how maybe things could have been done differently. But at no point am I personally, I don't know if you are, but I'm not, blaming our players for this they got us to where we are no, now of course yeah. and i'm going to double down and support them ahead of this big crunch die on wednesday um but there are some fans out there who are calling for them to be sold i saw a <laughs> supposed arsenal fan talking about bukayo saka and they name him as like a nigerian fraud and they go what? this nigerian think, fraud shouldn't play for arsenal he's not good enough I he's think like a, you, some... there's a there's always a theme with those sort of fans i, I, I yeah i think it's very clear who you, you can tell our proper Arsenal fans, personally. Um, so, I, yeah, my Twitter time... You, you see this all the time, though. Like, I saw a United fan the other day. My, my United friend sent it to me. And he was basically like, this guy says Rashford is our worst player for our system and we should get rid of him. And then he wrote, like, a 50-tweet 50, like 50 analysis of, like, why Rashford was their worst player and shouldn't be in the starting eleven. They should play this other fucked-up formation that had Wan-Bissaka over Dallow. It had some other random nutcases in the team. Like, I was looking at it like, who are some these fans people? are mental, like, man. Like, yeah, I think I people think... forget the word supporter, right? Like, yeah, a supporter that, yeah. supports the team through thick and thin, no matter how bad things go. You don't abuse your own goddamn players. No, and and I think that's something what... that I can't understand. I stand so strongly by it. I think, to be honest, people go too far the other way and they're scared to, uh, like critically <laughs> evaluate things and I feel like give constructive criticism and stuff I feel like people have gone the other way now and it's like you can't say one negative thing that's like actually a constructive criticism about a player because you're a bad fan like I think it's fine to do that but the underlying feeling is that of yeah indefinite support right like just get behind your team all the time but at the same time it's okay to acknowledge where you think some things were mistakes as long as you don't go like overboard about it i guess on one final positive before we carry on like trossard's cameo again looked very good right he's looking like he can bring a lot and to be honest in in this moment i think he's giving more to the team than martinelli is i think i think that was a big moment for us whatever happens as i said like we needed a goal we hadn't been scoring in a few games and regardless of the result and how we performed I think that goal for Trossard especially should go a long way in his confidence. And yeah. like having the home crowd celebrate it with him in that moment of euphoria. I hope that's like just the start of a very beautiful journey with the Arsenal and Trossard because I really like him. He's he's honestly yeah. just so technically gifted. Like and he's got he, a bit of he fakes so many movements as well. Yeah. He's got power, but like his fake uh, he he seems to fool the opposition constantly lot. like lots yeah. of shimmies and turns and twerking like, no one knows where he's going what he's gonna he's, do he's just he's got more di- i used the word power there because he's got a lot more directness to him than i thought i thought he was a bit of a pocket player like a bit of a pretty one twos here and there but he'll pick it and he'll drive inside and out and like he's got do you know what i really like about him 
he's got a lot of similarities with Martinelli in the way they drive with the ball, but he's also got a little bit more like flair about him in the way he's mm. got that kind of yeah that the flair side as well. So like I, I yeah I personally think he's giving more to the team um, than Martinelli is right now, and it'll be interesting. I guess to in see. the preview we should we will talk about whether we think Trossard or Martinelli will get the start. I do think that. Martinelli for what he does off the ball defensively he will probably still start because we'll want to kind of nullify that uh, Grealish Foden wing yeah. but I, I I would not be surprised to see another early sub in for Trossard to change the game if things needed but he is staking a claim to start a game and maybe it's oh, that Villa away game that he starts maybe that's yeah. where he starts um it's interesting because on, to, I, I do take your point and like on Martinelli's defensive work but if you're Trossard kind of have to ask yourself what more do I have to do to kind of get myself into the starting 11 right now right yeah. like he like proved this it game against... he did really well he played well against City when he started that game he was off on the front foot to be fair though when he came on against Everton he didn't really yeah, do much that, that's just so like, that is... like, yeah, like there's, there's, there's been the good moments and the bad moments um, yeah yeah so I think I'm still not sure he will be trusted to start against City having arrived at the club a couple of weeks ago but he is due some starts soon and I've said this before. I honestly think that Martinelli will explode again soon. Oh, of course, yeah. But I think that will coincide with Jesus' return. Yeah, I I I think the two of them just work so well together. Yeah, and I forgot where I heard this. So, like, I can't know who to credit for this, but it was a really good point. Martinelli's had, like, he had his breakthrough when Aubameyang was kind of being phased out of the team, right? And since then... He's just played consistently non-stop. Like I know yeah. I'm conscious that Saka has as well, but Saka's a different beast in my opinion. Like, is it a case of just Martinelli? I'm not saying he needs a rest, but does he just need like to not have the pressure of being relied on as a made man for like just take him out of the limelight a little bit? Let him just be for a few games yeah. for a couple of games. Like, just do you know what the thing that I described He's a few very weeks young. ago? Yeah, but do you remember the thing I described a few weeks ago? It's like that left wing spot, you just you constantly require an eight or a nine out of ten, and for whatever reason, Martinelli dipped to like a seven. Trossard now gives us the ability to rotate them and utilize them so that you're consistently getting an eight or a nine. And I stand by and feel so strongly that if Trossard is starting in that role, and Martinelli comes off the bench, I think Martinelli's opposition fullbacks will be getting terrorized. Yeah, I just think it's players. yeah, I think it's just a case of manage them smartly and i think it's going to be beneficial for the both of them um yeah so i think one to watch yeah i think just on the what i said about him being young so i think we forget that he's 21 years old like exactly yeah there's not many wingers who play that regularly at 21 for a team challenging for a title and you know we we saw the pressure that came to sancho when he arrived at united with that price tag and you know he come back after an extended period out of the limelight and he scored, right? He scored them that goal the other day and he started again today. Um, he, I, I just think that with some of these young players, there's so much more to it than just, are they a baller? Like, there's a whole psychological element and you, you, you saw what happened to some of the other young players that we played too much, right? Like, the likes of Jack Wilshire and stuff where we played them into the ground from a young age and they were never really the same again, right? So yeah. I'm just also conscious we don't do that to some of these players and that's something I'm always nervous about, which is why I wanted four. I think you said you wanted like five people at least for that front three, five or six yeah. quality options so that no one is being run into the crap like that. Yeah, for what it's worth, I don't actually worry about that with Saka or Martinelli. But I think the, the point you made, which is probably going to be the crucial one, is the Jesus pairing. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. I think that's the biggest thing. Yep. All right, let's go to... um just if you want to talk through some of the passing networks, I guess um, Saka was far higher up the pitch this time. Um, again, it feels like, I think I say this every week, but I honestly believe that when the game state is a draw, when it's nil-nil or we're losing one-nil even, I, I'm pretty confident 95% of the time that Saka will either assist or score the goal to equalise or go ahead. Yeah. Um, it just feels like we He's rely on clutchness him. in him now, isn't he? Yeah, he's really proving that. And I'm honestly shocked by how far he's come just even since the World Cup restart. Like, you know, I used to say, like, I think he'll become world-class and stuff, but I'm not having it. Like, he's world-class right now. He like, is, He's yeah. one of the top wingers I've seen. Um, 
Like he he is just up there. Like right now, the way he plays, he's our most important player. He's our talisman, yeah, right? He's very consistent, isn't he? Yeah, just on the passing networks. Like this for me illustrates quite nicely about why I think Tierney is suited and use usable in a game like this. So look at that left hand triangle of Zinchenko, Jack and Martinelli. It's so bunched up. And Martinelli and Jacka are not two players that are gonna unlock and pick holes in a in a tight low block defense, mm. are they? That's for me where if you're looking at that triangle, I want the same triangle that's replicated on the right on the left. And so where Saka's the outlet, I think so you've got Saka as the outlet and then you've got Benoit and Odegaard if you're looking on the right hand side. I think you just need the exact same on the left, but have the outlet as a Kieran Tierney. And then on the inside, have your Zinchenko and your Martinelli, like closer to goal, or your Zinchenko and Trossard. And that's for me, like, if if you can imagine what that then looks like, it will be perfectly symmetrical. And that's how you sort of force your spacing and your distances on the opposition. And if you map that, what I've said there, onto what the Brentford one is, it gives them a different thing to think about, right? They can't then then go pack out the half spaces with these because they've got multiple outlets to worry about as well as the inside. And I just think it was so lopsided in the sense Saka was the only outlet. And it was interesting that he put Martinelli on the inside, but I, t I think without an overlapping outlet, I think it was pointless, to be honest, tactically. Yeah, because you weren't going to see Zinchenko or Xhaka like running off from an overlap. Like he no. was going central, and and they'll do like, it on a, like they'll do it on a couple of occasions. But I just mean someone has like that step, like relentlessly position, all game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Just to just to draw people away. So what you said about that Smith Rowe goal, right? Like every time I saw Martinelli or Trossard get their ball, they were doubled up on both wings. They had Saka as well, but. If there was at least someone there in those scenarios where we're getting blocked out like that to just take that second defender with them, even with a fake run, so that at least Martinelli or Trossard can then try a 1v1, try to get into the ball, try to get a shot off. Right now, they've got two players to get past and then they end up reverting the ball back, trying to switch to the other flank. It gets to the other flank. The other flank's got two defenders doubled up as well. But yeah, that Saka-Odegaard-White triangle, at least they were able to get through the double block at times. But it just felt like on the left-hand side, we were not able to get through. Yeah, and I I, I stand strongly by. I don't think Martinelli is a one-twos in tight spaces kind of guy. Like, you've got the relationship with Saka and Odegaard where I would back them to find their way through and navigate. Like, they did it a few times, right? Just quick interchanges. I don't think Martinelli is someone that's suited to that. And that's where I just, I found it a bit odd that, it was an instruction for, I get it, kind of put him closer to goal, but there's one thing being closer to goal, but you need to be close to goal as a team, right? And we weren't really, get, we weren't breaking past that final line. And that's where I would have quite liked to have like a Trossard in there earlier in the pockets. And I'm going on about it like a broken record. I can't help but think if you had Zinchenko and Trossard in the pockets, Tierney providing the width because then Tierney's very good at getting to the byline and you know what I said about Ben White I was disappointed he was looping crosses Tierney's he like, selection <laughs> of crosses is very good yeah um yeah it'd be interesting to see if he goes I did that. see there was that moment where Saka did not look impressed where Zinchenko took a shot that was like looking like he was trying to find the far post for a runner and Saka was like one second later to the spot where Zinchenko shot and hit wide and like right. it just felt like had Zinchenko like tried to do the same pass that Saka did on the other side to Trossard, Saka would have been in with a tap in. But right, instead, okay. Zinchenko went for the shot, and I could see Saka <laughs> arrived after the ball just went past where he was arriving, and he just kind of looked up like, "What the fuck? Like, why you know, are you shooting from there?" Like, do you know the vibe I got a little bit yesterday with Zinchenko was, and it's a it's a good thing. It's like a leadership trait. It felt like he was trying to do it all, and like. I think on one hand, that's great. Like he's showing that level of responsibility. He's been there with City. But I think on the other hand, it's like you need to know that not everything needs to be you doing everything. So like, that's what I was saying earlier. Right? I felt like he was forcing the passes too much. Mm. He was going into areas. I didn't think he needed to really collect the ball. I think there were some cases where we could have actually done with him maintaining a bit of structure on the left-hand side to create other spaces. And yeah, I think, to what the point you just made as well that's another example right if he just kind of held it for a second or two and then played in Saka instead but 
I get that's nitpicking, but yeah, I, I was. And it's tough, like in the yesterday. time, right? It's easy for us to see from a bird's eye view, but when you're in that scenario, if you look, I at didn't the even have my bird's eye view yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <was> you like... <laughs> but when you've got like the frame of view of the player and the intensity and pace at which the game was course, going and yeah. the physical battles, I can see how Zinchenko might not have seen or was blindsided to that Saka was also running in to give it to him. So I, I can't put it all on him for that. Um, is there anything you want to say on the zone 14 and half spaces quickly before we go to a bit of Q&A? Just because yeah. I am just looking and we're almost at the hour mark, which I think we've got about five minutes. So if we can try and do this section and answer yeah, some live just, Q&A. It was just one point I wanted to make, which I think perfectly illustrates exactly what the issue was. So when people talk about positional play and the numerical superiority and everything that is like the principles of our play. The one no, no is you don't have a horseshoe. And that's exactly what we had. And like Pep used to talk about it a lot in like a couple of books I read and stuff is like the horseshoe is just side to side with no purpose, no penetration, no incisive passing. And you can see it there illustrated, right? That's all we were doing. We were going side to side. You go from the right to the center, to the left, from the left, to the center, to the right. And there's no incisive passing in between from like the center mid to the eight, the eight into the central zones. And that's all I wanted to include because that for me illustrates exactly where we're going wrong at the minute. I can um, see the horseshoe now that you mentioned it. Yeah, it's loud. Yeah, it's <laughs> staring you in the face, right? And that What's really Jake, crazy Jake, is just the number of touches. I think this might be the game this season where we've had the most half space touches. 122 half space touches. 59 zone 14. And yet it never felt like we were going to go and get that winner once yeah. it became an equal game, right? And that's the thing. Like, it's well and good having half space passes and stuff, but there's half space passes that just are like recycling it. If that makes sense, there's yeah, that's all we were doing. We were just recycling it, waiting for an opportunity. And yeah, like I said, in in like the tactical sphere that I used to <laughs> like browsing and stuff, uh, I used to nerd out on these principles of play and stuff. And this was the one thing they used to drum into you. Like if you're seeing this you're not going to get anywhere because this is just pointless passing. Um, and that's the one thing like you can see the half spaces were busy, but zone 14, not really. Like we weren't really getting into the central area to actually make things happen at all. Um, so I just thought that was a nice graphic that illustrated some of the impressive defense. Well, yeah. And if you're on the podcast as well, yeah, if you're on the podcast in the, around 57th minute, if you come to the YouTube, you can see the visuals. Um, I'm just going to go to some of the Q&A from the live chat that I've starred from earlier just to respond on a couple of points. But quick shout out as well to FPL Finn. Thanks for tuning in. Evening, mate. Hey, mate. Um, you missed the beginning of the episode where we both sounded pretty depressed, I think. Um, I think we still was, do. <laughs> I, like, I, I think we're probably still a bit depressed, but it was pretty bad earlier. Um, so I guess just this comment from Terence earlier. So he was kind of saying maybe Tomiyasu, Tierney, Trossard and, you know, dropping Martinelli's and Chenko playing instead of Xhaka. So I do think this is something I would like to see. Uh, the Ben White and Tomiyasu part, I don't think it makes too much of a difference in terms of what I want to see. But it's just the left-hand side feels very dysfunctional right now without Jesus up yeah. top to support Martinelli and with no overlapping runner for Martinelli either. So... You know, he, he was playing centrally this time instead of on the flank, but then there was no one on the flank. So I, I do like Tomiyasu, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did get the nod as a 1v1 defending specialist against City. Like, it could happen. Um, ben White might not retain that place. We don't know. We'll see. But equally, I do think Ben White improved a little bit last game, and maybe that confidence was needed going into City. Um but yeah, I would no, love I'd to see this Zinchenko in the middle. I would love to see that one day with Tierney at left back. And uh, do you know what? I actually think Trossard could do a job there as well from like what I've seen of him profile-wise profile wise so far. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I know I said about Ben White's crossing. I, that was like a specific aspect of his game. I actually thought overall he played uh, pretty well and improved, to be honest. So Christopher what? Tellers is feeling so deflated after the last two games. And it wasn't made any better when he woke up to see that uh, Mason forgot to draw the line. So, yeah, that is frustrating. Um, so that's in relation, obviously. I think we won't talk about the referees. Um, We've done that to death earlier in the show. I even took out the map of how they're all born in Manchester. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think we've, we've already had that conversation. But I just thought I'd put that up there because it seems like we're all kind of looking for some therapy after the last few weeks um, as Goonies. Can I, um, really tough. Can, I forgot what I just... Uh, something I've seen in the chat triggered me to one more point on my tierney propaganda. Do you oh, remember yeah. the Europa League campaign um, where Martinelli was kind of getting eased into the first team and stuff? That Tierney to Martinelli cross, Gabby scored like three, four headers from a Tierney cross, right? I feel like that was a combination that was working so well. Like That's the sort of stuff I think that would be perfect for the game states like Brentford, Everton, Leeds, those sort of deep blocks. I think that's another kind of, yeah, it's another string to your boat, right? And I think that's something that could be used. Because I feel like as a fan base, everyone's kind of writing off Tierney because we've tried him in the inverted role and he's not quite been working out. But it's a traditional fullback. He's he's very good. Like, let's try it. And I think that's a, a relationship and a connection that I wanted to remind people of because I remember seeing Martinelli score a few headers from Tierney. Well, let's not forget the song, right? What? Oh, well, yeah. The, Tierney at the back, yeah, Gabby, Gabby in Gabby attack. attack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, that's the fucking song, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're literally like, these two already have a connection. So if he doesn't have the Jesus connection, let's maybe look at, in against deep blocks where we don't think Xhaka's late runs into the box from an attacking point of view are not unlocking defences well, why don't we just put Zinchenko in midfield where he's playing anyway and try bring on an overlapping runner at fullback like let's just see like at this point I think we'll talk about the City preview and I do think that maybe that game isn't the game to be trying all these new things but going forwards we should definitely be looking to test stuff out because once Europa starts there's going to be games thick and fast and we've got to start to think, um, do we go down the pep route of keeping momentum? Because yeah. if you have a Europa team and a Premier League team and they're different, is the Prem team going to be sharp if they keep having a week off between games? Or is it that actually once you get far enough in Europa, if you get through later rounds, you're going to have to rely on the same squad to play every three days, three times a week. And then there's just one or two adjustments where you switch a few personnel for these tactical tweaks. So I think we need to experiment with that before Europa starts. And that's not far away. Like, it's only a few weeks away. So this is our chance now. You know, Bournemouth home, uh, Villa away, the Fulham game. These are games where we we should test a few things out, try stuff out before it starts to get a bit mental. So, So this is where I'm like, I think there's a balancing act. I think it's clear that against the deep block, we're struggling, but... I still think we go into games and I think we play our game. For me, the moment you change it is when it becomes obvious you're struggling. And I think that's where, okay, it got to half time. I didn't really feel anything like anything was working. That's where I think, in my opinion, you make a system tweak. Yeah. I wouldn't go and not completely... from the beginning of the match. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wouldn't go and change an experiment. Your position would be happy. Like I've yeah, been saying I this, think like, it's we all talk about remember... Trussard, but like, let's say yeah. you're an opposition manager or defender if you see Martinelli's not in that lineup, you're going to breathe a sigh of relief because you're going to look at what he's done to all the other fullbacks this season, bar a few bad games now. I think these are things that if you do it, it gives too much confidence to the opposition that you're changing your entire system that got you here 21 games in. Exactly. I think, so that's I think just, you're right. I think there's a balancing act. Like, I think it's a, for me, it's crucial that we come up with a plan C, as I keep saying. But... I think plan A has got us so far. And I think in terms of the predictability, I stand by, I don't think every team's going to be able to do this. Um, and I think we will have enough. But as soon as it becomes clear in a game that we're struggling, I think that's where you go, boom, be ruthless, switch it up. Um, and just one thing on the Zinchenko in midfield, I just want to add, I only want to see that personally when it's against a deep block and... There's no transition opportunities in midfield. And because I think if we do that in like a standard game where it's fairly open end to end, I think we'd get fucked. I really do. I think people forget the defensive contribution of Xhaka. Why I'm an advocate for it in a game like this is Xhaka's defensive contribution is minimal and his offensive one (laughs) is limited. That's why I think there's specific game states where I see it working. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't go and do it for every game, personally. No, that makes sense. All right, let's um, call it there. And just a quick thank you to everyone who tuned in live. If you're listening on podcast or video on demand after on YouTube, thank you for all the support, for all the interaction in the chat. 
We will be back probably Tuesday lunchtime UK time to do a quick preview of the Man City game. And then we'll Big be doing one. quickfire. Yeah, that's going to be Big scary because... fucking game. I'm My nervous God. as hell for that. Um, I was hoping we'd be in a better situation, but we're in a scenario now where if they beat us in that game, they go first on goal difference. They will have played an extra game, okay. but they will be first on goal difference if they win. So... There is a lot on the line now on Wednesday. Yeah, I think. Um, huge, huge game. And like, obviously, conscious we both sounded very deflated. I think it's normal. Like yesterday, like I said at the start, yesterday being in the stadium, it felt like I was punched in the gut a little bit. I was gutted. I think on the back of Everton, on the back of being knocked out of the FA Cup, uh, which we didn't care about. But in the grand scheme of things, it's now three on the bounce. Like, yeah, it's... it's it's our first blip. It's a little bit of a reality check, I'd say, but no dramas. Like It's still in our hands. We're still the best team in the league so far. We just need to adapt a little bit. That's all, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And it's on us. Wednesday is a huge fucking chance to put a statement down, snap out of this little funk run, and like go again. Like I really think, yeah, Wednesday, ugh, biggest game in a long, long time, man. <laughs> Yeah, honestly. And uh, cheers, cheers, Finn. Yeah, I think um, I'm sure if you catch up, you'll hear how, like I say, how depressed we were earlier. But let's end it on a positive note, which is that I think the boys will be well up for Wednesday. And I think it's a different challenge and it's probably one that better suits this squad. So I'm excited to finally stop playing a low block team after what feels like months of only playing low scenes teams. when Pep just parks the bus. <laughs> oh my God. If you see like a back nine or something, don't, don't even get me started. He's nuts. We know that. All right. Up the Arsenal. Good to be here for some therapy with you, Clayton, yeah, as always. Nice one. And we'll be back on Thursday, guys. Still um, top of the league. Up the Arsenal. Yeah, still top. Let's keep shouting it while we can. See you guys on Tuesday. <laughs>